On this episode of Deal and Extend, we talk about choice and how users come to make the decisions they do in their hardware and software. This episode of Deal and Extend is brought to you by DigitalOcean and Bitwarden. Welcome to episode 26 of Deal and Extend. Deal and Extend is a community-powered podcast. We take conversations from the DLN community, from places like DLN Discord forums, Telegram group, Discord server, and so much more. We also take topics from other shows from around the network and give you our takes. With me today are my two fantastic co-hosts, Nate, who has an almost unhealthy obsession with OpenSUSE, and Matt, who is constantly running the weirdest hardware you can imagine, but making it work. What are you doing today, Nate? But most recently... My, uh, my latest bit of excitement is I finally got my UbiPorts Pine phone, and I really like it. It's the, the community edition. Not, not the newest one they just announced, but one that I ordered back in April, and it finally came to my house yesterday. And I'm super excited about it. I've been playing with it. Now, it's a little bit of a numpty because I, I, um, you know, I already took it apart to like put the SIM card in and all this other stuff. I didn't notice there was this little plastic piece over the battery terminals, and I, I couldn't figure out why the thing wasn't charging and why I had no network connection. Oh no! Because <laughs> there's a little plastic piece over the over the battery, the, you know, so it wouldn't discharge and 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 uh, transit or whatever in storage. But this is a great phone. It's not the fit and finish is very professional. It's nice. It uh, it's not that. I mean, it's it's no thicker than any phone that I've had. I mean, it's about the same thickness as this Android phone, maybe maybe a touch thicker. But it has a it has this really neat feature. Uh, two two really neat features. One, it has a headphone jack, and then also you can very easily take the back panel off. It's not hard to do. There's a little I mean, they even hit, even notch it out so you can get a fingernail in there and you know pull the thing open. And then you can get this replace the battery. Then there's a a series of switches, little dip switches, like really tiny looking dip switches in the back, so you can disable different aspects of the phone. And I. I didn't remember reading anything about this. Now, it's really tiny and my, my old man eyes can't see it as well, but they have the modem, the Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, microphone, rear camera, front camera, and the headphone jack. So they actually have hardware kill switches so you can literally kill it. That's also amazing. Not that I'm going to have that shut off, but you know, it's nice to know. So the operating system is actually, it's, it's, it's pretty nice. The um, UV ports, it's, uh, it, it feels a little bit sluggish at times, but for the most part, the, the actual user interface of it is really fantastic, like how, how you actually interact with it. It has a little tutorial when you, when you first turn it on of how you, you swipe the different directions for different functions. So instead of having the three buttons on the bottom, you swipe from left to right to bring, bring up your, uh, your application menu, like, the, like you'd see on like Unity, basically. You pull that top down for your notifications and you go from right to left, swipe from right to left to, uh, to see all your applications. So it's, it's actually really intuitive. I think it's, I think it's a better interface than Android and I like it. And uh, so I'm, I'm still playing with it. I, I only have two issues with it. I can't get the Bluetooth to actually stay on and then I can't get the camera to work, but they're still working on it. It's a community edition. So they're still doing all those, uh, but it does make phone calls and I can send text messages. So it does act as a phone. So besides the camera and the Bluetooth not working consistent, consistently, what's keeping it from being your everyday phone? Is there some apps that are missing? Just those two things. So I do need some other, like my banking app. Today, I'm going to test the map function on it to see how that works. So I can't, I'm still evaluating it. And, uh, but yeah, for the most part, it seems to hit all the marks for me. The fact that it's Linux and I see through rosy colored Linux lenses. So Matt, what have you been up to? I have just been listening to a lot of music still. I'm still pawing through that OC remix tracks that I downloaded last week. Right now, I am on the Final Fantasy VII remix album that they did, which is called Voices of the Life Stream, which is actually, if you want diversity in your music selection, <laughs> there you go. 
right now one of my favorite songs probably off the album is one called son of chaos it's kind of a this weird like brooding instrumental like ambient techno kind of song it's, it's a atmospheric kind of song that i really like so pretty much what i've been doing i haven't really had much time to really do anything else this week unfortunately so i have i have not clicked on on the link uh, one because i don't click on any links that you send me <laughs> but the, wow um... that is so <laughs> totally rude but, but i totally get it I mean that in the nicest possible way. Style of music. Is it like digital remix type music or what, what is the style of music? Like generically, what style of music do I listen to? Is it like I'm listening to like a, I know it's video game music and it sounds video game. You like they, like a MIDI mix or is no, it more no, no, actual no. instruments? It, it's more, it'll be more, di- it's a digital production, but it uses a lot of, the way they generically go about their remixes is they'll take either an entire song or a section of song and kind of loop it, build around that particular loop or that style, but kind of make it their own. So what this song is based around is um, Vincent Valentine's character's resurrection in the game. It's got the the piano intro for it, but that's kind of the loop that it uses. Then the the artist just kind of takes and makes it his own with the rest. Well, I'll, I'll, I'm certainly, certainly going to click on this uh, and put it into a Facebook container tab just to be safe. I want to check this out because I'm really curious to know what the, in the mind of Matt, what is it kind of music that he enjoys? So this, this will be interesting. This will be an interesting research project for me that I'll have this week and we can talk about it next week on what I've been doing. My my music is like my distros. They're all over the place. All over the place. Well, I know my daughter was super excited about it. I showed it to her right after we got done recording and the Sonic albums that were on it. And she was just absolutely tickled. So you made her day with more Sonic music. (laughs) (laughs) So Wendy, what have you been up to? Well, we're getting close to the new school year. And as many people know, I'm pretty open about it. We homeschool. And this coming year, my daughter's entering another co-op. So we have one co-op that we participate in that's for younger kids. And now my daughter's old enough to join this additional co-op. So we'll have two places to go every week now instead of just one. But the classes, there's a lot more note-taking and conversation. So think of the the older co-op like your advanced placement history class or whatever, where instead of reading textbooks and worksheets, you're reading real books and having lots of discussions about them. So there's a lot of notes that she's going to need to be taking. And instead of getting a Chromebook, I'm really considering getting her a Pine 64 Pro to be her go-to in the backpack laptop for taking with her to class and taking notes on. Manjaro Plasma. So that's what she would have. Unless she wants something else, I guess if it's her laptop, I should give her a vote, huh? Co-op won't start until September. So she'll have some time, hopefully, to play with it a bit before she's got to take it to, to class with her. But I was just thinking, what, what's something light and fairly easy to use that she can just throw in her backpack with her other stuff, be able to take notes on it and not having to worry about battery life and all of that stuff. And the Pine 64 just really seemed to tick all of those boxes really well. And I'm, I'm kind of excited to get one for her. Well, I think that's really exciting. And, and I, I think that you're making the right choice with the Pine 64. I mean, you're going to have a whole community behind you of support. I would rather have that than a Chromebook myself. But again, yes, that's my biased opinion. And everybody will want to know what she's using. 
We will spread the Linux love by everybody asking, what's that? This episode of DLN Extended is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. DigitalOcean recently announced new features and services such as a virtual private cloud in all regions, free of charge. This lets you create multiple private networks to isolate your workloads. Container registries is now available to all users. Easily store and manage private container images and push images seamlessly to DigitalOcean's Kubernetes. You can get all of this plus access to their world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. Get started on DigitalOcean for free with a $100 credit by going to do.co slash dln. And you can use that $100 credit for spinning up over a dozen droplets or even some monster-sized droplets for two months. Again, you can get started on DigitalOcean with a $100 credit by going to do.co slash DLN. So we've been talking about Linux being all about choice, and I'm happy to see that Jason Evangelo has chosen to do another podcast. He's feeling better, and uh, he talking hardware, talking about some, some uh, choices in these new laptops that are coming out that are AMD, Ryzen-based, and also the switch to using Core Boot on on some of these systems. Core boot is one of those things that, you know, for me personally, it doesn't really excite me. Now I understand the uh, the benefit and I understand like the, there's some performance improvements because they're, you know, optimizing a certain aspect. And, um, and so I, I understand some of the benefits, but at the same time, it's not one of those things that really excites me, core boot. And, and I, I need to be direct as to why I'm wrong that I'm not excited about core boot here. Well, core boot could excite some users because I know, especially on this upcoming line of Intel chips, they are purpose purposefully limiting some of its abilities and that's being done not because it's in the chip itself but it's being done on quote-unquote lower end boards so you have to buy the more expensive board so the chip can do something that it's already meant to do and if you're talking about open firmware then you don't have these lock-ins in these places where the company is dictating that even though the hardware can do it, you're not allowed to use it that way. Yeah, yeah. There's really? basically no, there's no artificial limitations. Yeah, that you would normally get on boards of very, you know, Phoenix BIOS and all the various U- UEFI type BIOS that are kicking around now. You don't get those limitations with a core boot system, which extremely nice, extremely cool. Gives Linux users a lot more of that open nature from the the software stack that is closer to the hardware that we want. The fact that it, they're doing it with Ryzen and AMD, which also plays well on the open source. And, you know, unlike a lot of other companies, <clears throat> NVIDIA, uh, that play nice with the, <laughs> the open source community, or I should say that don't, it's one of those things where it, it's a good system. If you are a Linux user, you don't like those proprietary blobs, you want more control, you want from top to bottom, a Ryzen with open core is probably the most ideal system a Linux user could want. Now you, now I understand the benefits. I don't know how if I, if I missed that in the conversation previously, but but now I understand the benefits of core boot. Now I see, you know, for if they're getting rid of artificial limitations set by manufacturers, you know, from the BIOS, that fixing that to me sounds amazing. Now I'm on board. 
I guess you could say. <laughs> now, now it makes the world of open firmware seem so much more exciting, doesn't it? And, and so that's that's good to know. Now, does it also allow you, like if it's on an Intel machine, would it allow you to take advantage of the processing capabilities of the um, the management engine on the chip? 86 processor on there. I'm not 100% sure how the uh, that particular aspect of it works. I haven't really do- dove deep into the technical details as far as that. I know the Intel management engine for a lot of people is a proprietary nightmare and kind of, you know, you have companies like Purism and other companies that have tried working around it, disabling it, making it a uh, non-factor. So it kind of depends on if you care about that being totally open or proprietary, which generically it is. It's one of those things. Um, I honestly don't know, though. So I guess if... It opens up the BIOS, like that 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 level of control over the hardware, that much more. I don't see a problem with it. You know, even even if it's there or not, I would like access to all the hardware. That'd be awesome. So it looks like it's an eighty an x eighty six based thirty two bit CPU that runs Minix 3 on it. So that's hanging out and doing stuff in Management Engine. So it'd be kind of nice to be able to use that processor for something other than you know, running Minix 3. So Coreboot's website is coreboot.org. And they have all kinds of documentation and stuff. So we'll have to take a look, dig a little deeper and see what else they've got available because it hasn't been available for the current generation of Ryzen ships. So it's super exciting to see that coming over for them. I really want a seven seven system 76 laptop with a third gen Ryzen in it. I I can tell you that I too would like to get a Ryzen based system. I've been looking at the Tuxedo computers, Ryzen computers, and uh, the, the, I don't know what generation it is, the Ryzen 7. It's about six times the processing power of my current machine. I, it's actually, it's something that like, I don't normally get excited about new hardware, but this, what Tuxedo is doing really excites me. That and I can pre-order with OpenSUSE on it. So that also makes it just that much Makes better. it better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, I was going to say for me, I would like to see the combination of AMD, you know, Ryzen 7, 9, whatever, as far as a CPU, core boot, AMD graphics cards. And I don't mean the Vega integrated cards. I mean, dedicated GPUs in these yes. systems, please. Absolutely. Absolutely. That, that is my biggest gripe. I would love to see a, a, a a 5600 or 5500 something beyond a vega integrated gpu please that is my biggest gripe that is my only complaint top to bottom that'd be gpus open source cpus open source you know it like all these companies are playing nice why can't we get the hardware right I think we're slowly getting there. I, I think that seeing where where AMD is becoming better known for now having quality CPUs and GPUs, that there's going to be more of a hardware manufacturer and computer laptop manufacturer coming together and we'll get more of this built-in hardware fully at AMD. So what's wrong with the Vega, let's say the Vega 7? The integrated graphics are good. The problem is they are limiting though, on the same note. Do you want a game? Okay, well... If you got a Vega Vega eight or Vega ten or Vega seven or you know whatever version they're going with now, you're you're very limited on your scalability on that machine from a GPU perspective. And it's the same when it comes to video editing. So if you're or um, 
photo editing. You can do a little bit of stuff, but if you start really digging into some of the more detailed work where you're doing layers or even larger images, that can really eat into that. So having a true dedicated graphics card is really a must for any of those type of workflows. So in continuing to talk about choice, the guys on Destination Linux for episode 183 talked about it's all right to use Nano. Now, the, the big thing is Vim, Emacs, or Nano. Personally, I honestly don't care. Use whatever works for you. Nano is great. It's generically what I use. It's usually built into most distros that I use anyway. So yeah. when, I, when I have to edit things from within any config files and stuff, that's what I use to edit. What about you guys? I'm definitely the same way. I usually don't do that whole, a whole lot of configuring. It's I'm saying, hey, I'm, I'm editing this file because I want all of these hard drives to mount I want all these hard drives to mount when I boot up my computer. So it's little things. And Nano works perfectly for me. I'm not doing really any detailed stuff. So it's there. It's on every system. And I don't have to remember any new commands. I can Nano and the file that I need, get it done, close it simply, and get right back to what I need to do in my day-to-day. I, I don't know why there's drama surrounding Nano, but it seems like they really fired up some controversy with the it's okay to use Nano. Yeah, I've never really understood the controversy either. I, I, Nano is actually new to me. Uh, I've been using Vim for my entire Linux life up to maybe like a couple of years ago. And so I have to remember to use Nano. I think Nano is in many ways better, but I do like some of the functions of like how quick, how easy it is to, to cut and paste lines in Vim. And I, I'm sort of used to that, but um, I don't know, I've, I just, I've used Vim for so long. It, to me, it doesn't really matter. Quite honestly, I find that I like using Kate in Plasma. I think Nano is a little bit easier to use because you see all the commands there in the bottom that really matter. I think Nano is, the, the learning curve for Nano is a lot lower. So it's all right there, you know, on, on the bottom, yeah. you can see what you need to do. But I feel like Nano is a little bit slower to use than Vim. So to me, it's six to one, half dozen to another, maybe just because I'm just not familiar with Nano. But I'm I'm fine with either one. I, to me, it seems like a a non-issue. So every distribution I've used has had both, and I've only started checking maybe in the last couple of years, maybe a year or so. Well, it's yeah. definitely one of those tools that it's there to get a job done and use the tool that works best for whatever you're doing. So for me, it's a quick edit in the terminal and Nano's there and works perfectly for me because it is, it's one of those new things that I didn't have to go searching for, okay, how do I now edit this in the editor? Since I already had to look up how to edit or get all of my drives to mount, it was now that I'm in Nano, it tells me what I need to get done so that I can move on to the next thing, have a fully running system and not have to worry about it. But if you need more detailed stuff or more cutting and pasting, you have the option to use Vim. Well, yeah, it's like for me, I use drop down terminals. Like that's how I prefer to use, you know, GUI. That's a great combination of Nano because you have a drop down terminal. You can still copy and paste everything you need to from, say, you know, even though we tell people not to copy and paste commands from the internet. <laughs> <laughs> you you can still unless they explain them yeah yeah like like, like like okay. like if you're doing a step-by-step for adding a repository to your uh etsy sources list in arch as an example a drop down terminal nano and it's just a quick quick edit that's it i don't have to go to emacs and all the other stuff it's just nice quick and simple yeah i i totally agree except you lost me at the part where you said arch 
<laughs> okay, or anytime you have to edit your sources list, Nate. You do that in OpenSUSE too. It's true. And, and actually, I've run, I've, I've put together many step-by-step guides and I explain every step when you copy this, this is what you're doing and, and so forth. So um, This is what this command does and why we're using it, which right. if, if things are laid out that way, it's also helping somebody learn. So next time they go back to do it again, because we all need to learn somewhere, right? We all start somewhere. So I love tutorials that explain this is what we're doing and why we're doing it. So that's awesome. I created a step-by-step guide on the MX Linux forums for how to use KDE Connect on MX Linux for, you know, on their XFCE desktop. There's a whole bunch of CLI commands that are not well-documented. I thought it was fun to dig into that and, and understand and play with it. So I wrote a guide on the MX Linux forum, or if I mean, I mean Wiki or whatever the guide, their system, so that uh, people can play with KDE Connect there. And, awesome. Uh, yeah, that, yeah, and explains kind of how to use each of those commands. Because if you, if you, you can actually do KDE Connect totally in a terminal, which is extremely awesome. So it's fun to fun to play with more of the nuts and bolts and actually get the readouts of what KDE Connect is seeing about the different devices and so forth. That's a fun little thing right there. There was a user on the forums when DG asked about ideas for an old computer. So it's always interesting. It's like old computer. It's newer than what I have. <laughs> I know, right? I'm like this this old computer like just totally wipes the floor with with my laptop and yeah, the specs on it really it. aren't bad. It, it's running. <laughs> an i5 6500 quad core processor 16 gigs of ram 250 gigabytes of storage it's got integrated graphics but i mean with all of that base stuff there this is a system that you could do all kinds of fun stuff with oh yeah this is a this is a great system i would i would love to have this as an old system Well, like right now, okay, so according to her, her ideas are installing Ubuntu 2004 server and putting Nextcloud on it and hosting with uh, Hetzner so that it would allow me to self-host a Nextcloud instance. Although I'm thinking about getting a new Raspberry Pi and putting Nextcloud on that since the above computer may be overkill. I think it might be overkill just a bit. <laughs> yeah, but it would be a great machine. I mean, if you like, maybe want to pack a bunch of Docker images on there and have it do a bunch of things like Home Assistant, you could have it do like media serving. You could have it do a lot of things yeah. Nextcloud as well. And you, you, I mean, you could really, you could load this thing up with a lot of a lot of images. According to her, she already has three workstations. She already has a Synology NAS, so the media server is kind of a redundancy. Really, what do you do with a computer like this. She has the suggestion of donate to a local charity. That, well, that ties into the thing we were doing not that long ago with Free Geek. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. You know, that, that would that kind of system would open up a whole world of possibilities for people who might not have access to that kind of system. Even as people who are in computing, we'll look at like the Intel integrated graphics and be like, ah, it's not good enough. But for somebody who doesn't need that or you know can't afford the $350 for a baseline 2060 GPU from NVIDIA, that's a great system. I mean, 16 gigs of RAM for, you know, you're talking a hundred bucks there. The, there's the expansion possibilities with the, the motherboard for newer CPUs. The only thing that might need an upgrade if you use if you actually decide to install a GPU. So uh, to me, I'd almost recommend the donation to a local charity. You know, find your local free geek or type of charity. And if that's what you want to do, if you really have no use for it, then that's where I'd probably go with it. I mean, Especially I in the climate right now where there's a lot of schools that shut down at the end of the year for the virus that's been running around and there's a lot of schools that aren't entirely sure what they're doing this coming year. And they're talking about doing some at home and some in the school building and and mix a lot. 
there are a, a ton of kids that could use a computer like this to help them get back to school this fall. So there, there was a ton of suggestions on the DLN forums about ways that you could turn it into an awesome media server. But Wendy, if you really don't need it and can't figure out a use for it, the donation idea is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, t- uh, totally. Uh, I think, at least for me and Wendy anyway, uh, I don't know about Nate. Nate's always got projects for hardware. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, most of my hardware is, is I'm, I'm having it limp along as long as I can. So this would be, you, you could donate it to a charity like myself. I'm kidding. I don't know. <laughs> um, you can donate it to the charity of me. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's, it's really whatever. I mean, if, if, if there's no real good use that you have it personally, it's better to give it away to somebody who needs it than to let it collect dust and just, you know, dry rot. Because, I mean, a computer that's just sitting and rotting away doesn't help anybody out. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you're, you're getting three recommendations of uh, a donation from us. <laughs> <laughs> this episode of DLN Extend is brought to you by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the easiest, safest way for individuals, teams, businesses, and organizations to store their passwords. The fact that Bitwarden is not only open source, but has had third-party security testing done is one reason I have chosen to trust them with my passwords. On their blog, they have recently announced another third-party security review has been completed. They have the security assessment available for anyone to review. My favorite part of the report And I quote, no exploitable vulnerabilities were discovered. Thank you, Bitwarden, for offering such a feature-rich password manager and making security checks a priority. You can get started with a free account by going to bitwarden.com slash DLN. Want to support this open source project and help them continue to conduct third-party security audits? That support starts at only $10 a year. Jump over to bitwarden.com slash DLN to learn more. So lately, I've been uh, been spending some time in Fusion 360 on Linux. I know it's not really built for Linux, but using Lutris, I've been running Fusion 360 on Linux. And I got to tell you, it runs great. It's been running so well that I've been designing, using, doing some architectural design in it. I'm not, I'm not an architect by any means. I'm renovating my garage. And assuming I get all the permits and such, I'm, I'll be applying for those this week. I have to finish the paperwork. But I'll be redoing my garage, make it a little bit wider, a little bit taller, and making it useful. So all of my dusty, dirty type projects, like anything that cuts metal or wood or welding, will all go in there. Not that I weld in my basement, because that's crazy. I, I don't, yeah, no, I know. But anyway, so I'm moving it all into, into a garage, I have like a nice workspace. So any of my, like my, uh, my larger tools, instead of pulling them out of the basement, setting them up outside and putting, you know, blowing them off and putting them back downstairs, I can now have a dedicated space for it. And I've been using, and I, I started out on paper designing this, this garage renovation. And I realized that it was crazy because I kept changing it. Like, why, why am I doing this on paper? You know, I have Fusion 360. So I've been playing around with it there. And uh, I think I've shared some pictures with, with the two of you. I've got, I already had like construction expert, someone, a professional uh, look it over. He says, it looks good. And I said, will the old walls hold the additional weight? He says, yes, they will. And I said, excellent. Okay, now next step. And, uh, and, and in the process, I was able to like lay out like how much concrete do I need for it and, and everything else you know, for the floor. And I came to the realization, well, he actually enlighten me that, well, you are just under what you need for a truckload. He says, so do you have any other areas where you can pour concrete? And it's really not that expensive if you do the work yourself. $6. Yeah. On the low end, it's $6 a square foot if you have somebody else do it. If I do it myself, I can do it all for you know about a quarter of the price. Well, yeah, I, I, part of my my uh, my driveway is just, it was a brick driveway and just kind of deteriorated and has someone dumped gravel over it at one point in time. And now it's you know becoming grassy. 
And I says, that would be a great place. He says, so he basically yesterday we were talking and he, and he told me what I need to do. So because I went through the process of, you know, really calculating everything out, I, I got a bill of material. I know how much it's going to cost me. I've done the, this, this all in Fusion 360 and using LibreOffice. So all in Linux, I'm stressing my uh, five-year-old-ish laptop. So, um, which is why I decided I need a new machine, tuxedo computers. And, and uh, but I'm, it's actually been a lot of fun to, to do this. I've really learned the software and, and I've really enjoyed it a lot to use. It's actually been, been a pleasure to use in, in Plasma. So yeah, that's, that's what's been occupying a lot of my time. It's, it's a lot more tedious than I imagined it would be. You know, getting all the details in there. But the nice thing is, is you you have those details now and they're there and it's going to make actually completing this project and getting your permits so much easier. So the hardest part that I have to deal with now is what color do I make it? Because I think I wanna, if I'm going to buy the siding for it, I'm really not happy with the color of my house, but so now I'm in a whole other spiral of choice. I can't even pick out curtains. <laughs> the choices no never end. I, I can't like go with this color. I'm like, okay, Roger, and I'll move forward on it. But I, I can't. It seems like choosing a color is just is a. Uh, I like this like this steel blue. Like I, I'm on a uh, called the Little West Coast of Lake Michigan, and so there's kind of like this lot of beachy theme. I thought, well, you know, oh, yeah. update my house and go with more of like a beach looking theme. You know, have like the you know, the white trim with like this, like the, I don't know, it's kind of a bluish color, like a steel blue color that, and, um, and then, so now, now I'm back like in this, well then if I'm going to do that, then how, maybe should I do some, I don't know what, what to call it, like the lick and stick on rock look, you know what I mean? Like that, the night, the, the, you know, the, to make it look more classy, you know, kind of class up the joint a little bit. So now, so now I, uh, I, I can't, I'm stuck on the, what I do on the outside of it, to which my friend said, don't worry about that right now. Just get it done. <laughs> 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 Just figure out the inside part. We can worry about the outside yeah. later. Yeah, right. Nate, let's be honest. You're going to stick OpenSUSE Gecko Green on it and call it good because, you know, your unhealthy <laughs> obsession. It's true. And, I, and actually, that thought did cross my mind. But green comes in and out of fashion when it comes to the exterior buildings. And I... I I want to make it so like whenever this house is sold, uh, it's not a difficult problem, difficult issue, you know, to so that. Yeah, that, not, don't want the color to be that, an issue. Right. So at some point in time, it will be sold. So I, I want it to look good for that time, you know. So Wendy, what do you have going on? Well, I've been playing more with Raw Therapy and Dark Table. This has been so much fun over the last few weeks and I'm just continuing it up. This last weekend, we threw a super soft birthday party for my husband, which was an absolute blast. And it's it's like they say in the show, fair warning, it's not a family-friendly show, adults only, just in case you watch it. But it's really more for everybody else and it actually is the person you're throwing the party for. We all had so much fun. The, the kids had a blast. There was pink stuff everywhere and my husband was a great sport. But in the process of taking pictures during the super soft birthday party, the numbering rolled over again on my camera. So when I pulled everything up in raw therapy, some of the pictures that were at the beginning of taking pictures were at the bottom row and not up at the top in order. And I looked all over. They had all different kinds of ways to sort your images by the color tag that you put on it or the rating that you have on it and, and different specifications, even if you've saved a version of it or not. But they didn't have a way for me to go in and order the images by time that they were taken, which that is one thing that I have loved about Darktable. It is not only allows me those different ways to sort my images as I'm trying to figure out what to edit, what to keep, all of that stuff, but it also allows me to sort images by 
time, which was fantastic almost a year ago when I did the pictures for my brother's wedding. So I had two different cameras going at the exact same time taking pictures. When they were saved, they all went into the same folder for his wedding, not in different folders for each camera. And then I was able to sort the images by time. And so even though the images were on two different cameras in the same folder, everything was in chronological order. Okay, nice. Uh, so were you able to find any way or to, in raw therapy to actually get that function? Nope, they do not have that function at all currently. So I did jump over to Darktable when we were looking through the pictures, I have done some editing of them in raw therapy because I still, I love the way that uh, raw therapy handles skid tones. Like I, I really love the way the colors look there. So I've done some editing, but when we were initially looking through the pictures, I jumped back over to Darktable to do that because of the sorting. And I know it would be making going through the wedding pictures so much harder, not being able to put them in time order. So would that be a major function killer as far as workflow for you though? Is yeah, it-, it really would be for situations like this. Cause you know, you never know when your camera is going to roll over in time or if you're regularly doing stuff that takes two different cameras, having the ability to sort by time was absolutely necessary in figuring out, okay, so this is the order in which the pictures are taken. So then when you are creating the wedding album or anything like that, you can still see them in chronological order and helps you get them in the book the way you want them to. That means you have to go into dark table. Now, did you organize by time? Did you go back into raw therapy? Yeah, I, I did go back into raw therapy and do some some editing there. So I have shared a few privately with some friends and I did share one of the decorations on my my Instagram page. Like I said, there was uh, unicorns and, and pink everywhere. So very opposite of my husband. And I, I do, I, I love the way that raw therapy handles color. So I really wanted to work with the editing. I'm, I'm finding that I'm liking raw therapy more and more. There's just a few little pain points that I miss from Darktable. And one of the things that I love about Darktable that raw therapy doesn't have is being able to select things by color. You've got different layers that you can put on it or selection tools. So if I want a gradient on an image in Darktable, I can say, well, I'm going to use a brush and clean this out. I don't want this as part of the gradient or I only want... There's a lot more of that fine-tuned stuff in Darktable. So if I could get the color reproduction of raw therapy in Darktable, I would be an extremely happy camper. So it sounds like the the aspects that you like about Darktable is more the fine-tuning control that you can get. What you like about raw therapy is the color reproduction. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, pretty much. Especially around like skin t- <laughs> skin tones and that kind of stuff from skin tones. Yeah, I mean they I just they handle it so well. It looks so natural the way that it handles color reproduction, but it is missing a lot of that fine tune stuff that dark table has built in that are so powerful in working with that raw image because the more that you can edit directly on that raw image and not going into another photo processor like GIMP, the higher quality your exported image will be. So I do export and go to GIMP to do some things, but the more I can do with the raw image and have it be non-destructive, the better it is for my workflow and the easier it is for me to either A, go back and make 
make changes or see, see what I did. Whereas I talked about last week, raw therapy really doesn't show you what you did and what's still turned on on the side panel. So that, that's another big difference that I found between the two is you'll have this side panel on the left-hand side. In dark therapy, dark therapy, goodness sakes, in dark table... <laughs> See, I really do want to combine the two programs together <laughs> <Apparently>. really bad. <laughs> Um, in dark table, it shows you a list all the time and the order. So if you turn something on and then turn it off again, you can see that in the workflow on the side. In raw therapy, it only shows you what you've done in that current session since the program's been open. So all of that backlog history is lost. So it's a very different working order between the two. And I'm starting to love them both for different reasons. But dang it, I want dark therapy. All right. So what distro is it this week? <laughs> Should I be offended by that statement? It's all, no, it's like, you it, shouldn't. It's like, it's like you guys <laughs> expect me to always be running some esoteric weird distro. I don't know why. Because um, you do. That is totally besides the point. No, currently the one I'm, I've been beta testing for a while is one called eLive. It's based on Debian. I can't remember what version right now. I can't remember what version right now. Uh, it uses Enlightenment 16 as the desktop. You either like it or you don't. <laughs> It's it's one of those words either way. It's yeah, yeah. It's, like it or love it. it. It's like unity almost. You either like it or you don't, and you understand the way it works or the, the way you don't. And that that's yeah, it, that's just what it is. There there's no really in between on it. I like it just because it's something totally out there. It's totally different. I like to see what other developers are doing. That's why I like a lot of these other like weird esoteric distros because y you can see certain ideas that get pulled into other projects. You're like, okay, that's kind of cool. So that that's why I mm, yeah. that's why you know for people who want to know why I like these esoteric distros that's why because there's some really cool ideas out there and some really weird programs and des different desktop shells and stuff that people make or use or build and it's like those are some really great ideas why don't other distros think that way pull that in yeah, yeah exactly. So that uh, for those that want to know why I do these distros, that's why. And you have fun doing it. Well, yeah, there's that too, because like I like to punish myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm usually I'm usually using either perpetually late alpha or early beta software. <laughs> yes. Just my shtick, unfortunately. You like the pain of stuff not working or figuring out how to make it work? To, uh, depends on the system. I, I take a very Unix approach to my to my hardware. Some stuff, it's meant to be a test system. Other stuff is meant to just work. Your recording and editing system needs to be pretty solid. Well, which is weird given the fact that it's an arch base. Just saying. <laughs> Well, I'm also running an Arch base too, but it's been pretty solid for me. Yeah. Well, the thing I've learned with Arch based distros is that like if you're not pulling a lot from the AUR, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, and I really don't. So I know my my OpenCL drivers come from the AUR and Zoom, and then I've got um, oh a couple video editors that I pulled from there. But basically, that's it. Like, there's not a whole lot that comes from the AUR. Just some kind of important bits and baubles that I can't get directly from the Manjaro repo. Yeah, same here. Like there's a few things that I pull in from the AUR, but there's Zoom For and the Zoom and Cinelira is basically about the only, I think 
there might be a music player that I pull in. And those are really the only two things that I pull in from the, or a few things that I pull in from the AUR. Everything else is, if it's not in the actual repos, I don't care. Speaking of things that I do care about though, gaming, gaming, I care about a lot. Yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> this game is definitely weird and esoteric. If anybody has played the Prince of Persia games from like 2002 on like P- PS2 th- and played throw in that time element and mix it with like Tomb Raider Legends and Anniversary and those year of games, this is pretty much what this game is. <laughs> this game All is right. th- This game is called Blades of Time. It, it uses a time mechanic for the game. It's a action-heavy uh, uh, third person, I guess, fighting game. I, I really don't know what terminology to use with that. It's a third person action game that has firearms and swords and magic and other worlds. And it's just an out there game. The mechanics kind of just make it work. Like it's not the best game yeah. in the world, but it's definitely one that I enjoy playing. Uh, it's rated platinum on Proton. So this is literally just the click uh, ena- enable Proton stuff and just click the play button like you would any other whitelisted Proton game. So this one is also rated M for mature. So definitely not the family yeah, game. No, 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 definitely not. <laughs> Language and violence, um, unfortunately. So yes, but well, one of the tags on Steam says, is hack and slash so yeah definitely yes. not <laughs> yes definitely hack and slash but it is one of those games that the sum of its parts make it a bit uh, if you look at individual parts it looks really bad but if you just take it as a whole it actually doesn't look it's not actually that bad it's not a ringing endorsement for the game by any means but, <laughs> but it's one of those games where you're like okay this isn't that bad so you, yeah, you well, and it looks like what you need to run it really isn't super bad oh no like this game came out like 2012 so like yeah, so two gigs of RAM is recommended. Yeah. Minimum so, is, is two gigs until Pentium 4. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're good with just so, about anything. <laughs> so I, I, I went with the least current decade hardware. <laughs> Time Elements, Prince of Persia, Hack and Slash, third-person action game. If any of those terms that interest you, this is a platinum rating game for Proton. We'd like to continue the discussion with you on Telegram, in Discourse, Mumble, or Discord. Visit the DLN website for more information on how to connect to the social channels and also on shows and creators at destinationlinux.network. And you can find Nate at cubiclenate.com. There's links to his written blatherings and podcasts and his YouTube channel. You can follow me and what I've got going on right now at Linux and Lifts, where you can find stuff on what I'm doing with Linux, mostly photography work and how my lifts are going. And you can find my ram- <laughs> random ramblings on Twitter at MattDLN. As always, we thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another episode of DLN Extent. Until then, have a great week, everyone.